0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Darnell Dixon, BYU columnist and writer for The Daily Herald. Darnell, good morning.
1: Good morning to you. Good to be
0: on. 10-1 and one, with a trip to Boca Raton, Florida pending. When you go back to August, before BYU ever played a game, could you visualize the season working out anything close to this?
1: No, and, and that's, that's you know, when people discuss the season and you talk about what constitutes success, just having uh, a season at all is success. And, and I, I see some people saying, well, this just shows BYU needs to be in a conference. Well, they do, but if they'd been in a conference this year, I don't think there's any way they would have played 11 games. So you, you take what you can get, and in this season, what BYU gets is 11 games and winning 10 of them and falling two yards short of winning the 11th and going to Boca Raton. It's, it's disappointing, I think. Uh, for me at least, that BYU is not going to need an opportunity to play a Power 5 team in in the bowl game. There are a lot of them sitting out there, and there are a lot of bowls that have dropped out already. Uh, you would think there would be a matchup that ESPN could, could figure out. This will be the first time BYU hasn't played at least one P5 team in their schedule since 1975, and they've played two, at least two every year uh, since then. So it's a very unique season. We know that, but I, I'm a little disappointed. that, that not, not that UCF is a bad team. I think mean, they're a pretty good team. But with all the talk about BYU that went on for the first three months of the season by the national media and and uh, as, as much inventory as they've provided for ESPN this year, I think the matchup is a little bit disappointing in that regard.
2: Well, Double D, I'm a little bit disappointed in you. It was a yard and a half, not two yards, <laughs> that they came up short.
1: So. Yeah, well, you know, you, you do what you can. <laughs> I, I, I was using my Mark Warren eyeballs trying to watch that, and I, it looked like a, it looked like two yards to me.
2: So I share your sentiment in that, well, they got a bowl game, so be grateful for that. And the fact that they're going to have 11, 12 games is is good news. Uh, But I was hoping for more. And UCF is a great rep. There's no doubt about it. But the fact is, it's the fourth-place team in the AAC, and they lost to all the three teams ahead of them. You know, I figured it couldn't be Cincinnati, but – How about Memphis or Tulsa, which beat UCF, not UCF this year, although when I step back in the COVID year, I certainly can live with it.
1: Yeah, I I just look at it kind of this way. There there are a lot of, of ways that independence has worked for BYU. One of the ways that it hasn't worked is it just doesn't provide as much access to big bowl games and to big games as as they need. Right. And that's why playing in a conference might do that. But there's this glass ceiling. I mean you you talk about take take away everything that happened this year and look at a schedule that's ten and one uh with a very super close loss to a team that's already undefeated still. By a yard and a half. And the best you can yeah, by a yard and a half, right. Just just to get it right, a yard and a half. And what the best you can do is a, a minor bowl game against a like you said, a fourth place team from the AEC. So I, I just feel like, like uh, as much as, as effort and, and the, the, you know as much effort as, as we mentioned Tom Homo putting, into, putting his schedule together when it all fell apart and all the good things that happened, it just seems like a disappointing finish and not an opportunity for BYU to prove itself against a Power 5 opponent, which they're not going to get to play in, in 20, 2020.
0: But you have to be in a Power 5 to play a Power 5. If they were in a conference, the, depending on what conference they're in, their bowl opportunities wouldn't be any better.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a difficult situation that they've placed themselves in and and uh, even going undefeated, who knows they might have ended up in this very same ball game with this very same game. Some of the the talk the national talk and, and you know the first 3 months of the season, BYU was the darling, everyone was talking about how they had their schedule ripped up and they were playing games and winning games by a lot of points. But some of that I'm I'm just thinking is is, you know, the the national media needs to talk about something. And so they were talking about BYU because a lot of the Power Fives hadn't even started up yet. So I'm not sure all of that was sincere. But uh, BYU played 11 games this year and they played well. I think it's definitely Kalani Sitaki's best team that he's had. Unfortunately, they're just not going to get a chance to really prove uh, what they could do in in this season.
2: So I think that Arizona is going to show some interest in Kalani. And I think that Kalani, you know, he has a loyalty. He's a loyal guy. but you know, it took a while for them to extend him. What was it uh, in the locker room last season, right? When Tom right. pulled up the shirt and kind of left him dangling, but yet they had no problem just quickly showing the love to Mark Pope. And boy, he's there one season, and it's not even a complete season. And they lose disappointingly in the West Coast Conference tournament, and they just boom, they just go right after an extension. So I think Kalani's going to notice that. I think that my point is, I think for them to keep him, uh, they may have to extend him some more and give him some more cash. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, the the money's
1: definitely bigger with Arizona, although that job's been kind of a black hole lately. It seems like that's the difficult place to win right now in the Um, Pac-12. But Kalani, you know, I think he and his coaching staff would love to get an opportunity to prove themselves. Maybe this year, when they don't really get that chance, will we'll catapult them a little bit into next year when they go back to the schedule. They've got P5s on. on, uh, And they've got a young team, and they've got a lot of guys that are making decisions on whether or not to come back. And that that's something that's going to happen You know, in the next month or so where we'll hear about guys either finishing their career or deciding to come back for another year. Um, but they do have some underclassmen that are pretty good, too, that, that will come back. So I, I think they think their team will be pretty good next year, and they will get another opportunity to prove themselves. But and for BYU to step up with more money in this environment, I mean, they just—they just, you know, last month sent out, "Hey, we're twenty million dollars short. Can you can you buy a mannequin from us, or can you buy a you know a jersey, or a signed football?" You know, they're they're trying to raise the money for the department. So it's an interesting time for them. Very conservative BYU, we know this fiscally, um, for them to offer more money to Kalani when they've you know had to let go a bunch of people in their sports information department, and they're trying to raise money in, in different ways.
2: And I got my signed Bryce Harper Community College of Nevada jersey. He hates
1: BYU. That's what I heard
0: from him on national TV. <laughs> exactly. That's not like a secondhand rumor or anything. Uh, so you mentioned there's a bunch of guys having to make decisions here. So what do you? What decisions do you expect the juniors to make? And in some cases, seniors because it's a free year of eligibility,
1: but. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I talked to uh, Ed Lamb last week about this first story and he, and he told me he figured right now with the, <clears throat> excuse me, with the, uh, what is their 15, 16 seniors, about half of them will probably come back. Um, I, I don't know really yet about Zach Wilson. Again, this rhetoric that we've heard all season long about how great he is and, and how he's an NFL prospect. I'm not sure all of that is is sincere simply because there wasn't a whole lot else to talk about in those first couple of months. I think he's good enough, but where would he fall if he's drafted? Does he want to come out if he's a third or fourth or fifth-round guy, or does he only come out if he's a first- or second-round guy? Um, you know, he talks about he wants to run with his boys and, and finish out the season before he decides. Um, but if the iron's hot, you strike. That's how that's how it works. Um, a guy like like um, Kairos Tonga, he probably would be be a better served to to leave and go on and, and and move on in his career. I think uh, Matt Bushman has already signed with a, uh i don't know if he's signed with an agent but he's signed with a development group that gets people ready for the combine so I think he's maybe thinking he's going to be gone um, so so that that's kind of the feeling that we're getting is about half of those seniors will be coming back and then the big decision obviously is Zach Wilson will he decide to start his NFL journey, or will he come back for another year and maybe prove himself against a little bit more difficult schedule that's set up for next year?
2: So I think just about any program, if done correctly, can have a decent season every few years. You know, you just play young guys and and get them experience, and away they go, and then you end up being, you know, at least eight wins or so. And we've seen that with BYU, and I realize the schedule has factored into it too. But I also think if you look deeper than the schedule, we've been talking about it for weeks now, that this team was set up to be good because they had a number of guys who have been playing for two, three years. Coaching staff, except for you know one or two exceptions, basically has been the same. So everything pointed towards this year being successful. And I think with the P5 schedule that they had, they still would have been successful because it's not like these teams that, that were on that schedule looked like they were all that world beaters. But anyway, the point I'm making is in order to have a team, that's great. you, you got to have guys ready to go. But in order to have a program, you got to have guys ready to go every year. Now, what do you think as far as BYU having a program so then it's not back to we're in November battling for bowl eligibility again?
1: Yeah, well, that's the responsibility of a head coach is to build that kind of a program where you reload and, and bring in guys that, that uh, you've primed and, and groomed to, to be ready. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest problem, I think, that BYU has had in the past trying to play this independent schedule is the front-loaded part of it where they didn't have enough depth to survive all of those games. They get one or two key injuries and, and they're playing a guy that never played before. Um, I think that that, that was a, a definite uh, big piece of attention for this coaching staff over the last two or three years. I think they've achieved it. I think they've played a lot of guys on defense, a lot of guys on offense. They feel comfortable with, with their twos a lot more than they used to. And so you, that's how you do that. That's how you build your, your football program. I still think that as ambitious as Tom Homo has been with the schedule, I need to dial that back just a little bit and maybe not play, you know, five P5 teams in September. I think maybe they could get away with playing three or four and, and try to set the schedule up a little differently, but it's, it's really difficult. I understand that. And Tom works really hard to make that work. Um, but I think that they're catching up with that ambition in the, the program with how they've recruited and how they've developed players, I think we saw that as you mentioned coming into this year that were set up for success. I think they're set up for success next year as well. I think that that they could, you know, face a P five schedule like they set up and go, I don't know, eight and four or, or maybe even nine and three, and that would be a super successful season because they would have played against P five teams. So it's in process. They're recruiting uh, their kind of guys, which is which is always important. You want your kind of guys that are going to buy into the program and, and want to do what they're asked. Um, and I think that they're putting themselves in a position to be successful every year. And that, that's, you know, as a coach, you, you look at this season, if you're Kalani Sataki, and, 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 you know, even a couple of years ago, people were saying, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing, and he's, he shouldn't get an extension because they haven't won. Well, he's, he's pushing the team in a direction where, where people can stop saying that. And that's important for the stability of the program, as well as for he and his coaching staff to feel like, They've got some job security, and right now they do, and they're building a program that they feel like will be successful every year.
0: So on the topic of scheduling, you know, dial back the P5 games. I just don't see, and I suspect you don't either, uh, see all these P5 games created equally. To me, there seems to be an element of luck in when you catch these teams. Gary Croton had... You know, a lot of problems that were of his own creation, but he was also very unlucky to play Utah when they were undefeated, USC when they are undefeated, Boise State undefeated until they lost their bowl game, all in the same season. He drew three undefeated teams. I mean, that, who does that? And they were in a conference at that point. You know, Utah was in the league, and the other two were non-league games. This year, if they had played the Power Five schedule that they had drawn up— they would have mostly had teams at 500 or less, and their record against teams that are middle to bottom third of the of the uh, Power Five is pretty good. As much as you try to control with how many games you schedule, it still seems like when you catch a team, there's there's just a whole lot of luck involved.
1: Absolutely, and and you know you look at these schedules that are made five, six, seven, eight, ten years in advance. You have no idea what that program is going to be like. They they might not even have the same coach or the same AD that you set up this, this game with. And I think this year has proven that that's not necessarily the case. It doesn't need to be the case every single year because, you know, here BYU makes a game against Coastal Carolina in the space of a few hours. And, and three days later, they're, they're uh, you know, they're on the road in the back East playing this ball game. So um, it, it's just kind of the way that college football goes. And it's unfortunate, like you mentioned for Gary Quirton, that was a pretty good football team he had that year with, with John Beck and 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 Watkins, the receiver, and that was a good team. But they played some, you know, teams that were in in their very peak of, of how they were um, uh, how they were performing. And so, again, this year, teams like Minnesota and Stanford that were on the schedule, and even Utah for that matter, even though Utah's been playing better lately, they started off rather slow. So it's it's kind of interesting that if you look at who they might have played on the regular schedule. Would BYU have gone undefeated against that group? That's uh, possible. I think it's more possible than it was in years past. But playing that kind of schedule every year has proven to be very difficult for BYU because of the attrition problem and losing guys to injury. But um, you know, if they would have gone through this year's schedule and been I don't know, nine and three or eight and four, that would have been a really, really good season for them and and still push the program forward.
2: Turning to basketball a little bit, Double D. It seemed like uh, first few games with BYU it was a little bit of fire drill. Pope's racing guys in and out. Not really sure what's going on, which isn't which you no know, isn't is a surprise when you got so many new dudes. But you know, notwithstanding the first half against Boise, the second half and then against Utah, I've seen a little more semblance of you know. Let's look inside, see if we can get some shots at the bucket with Harms and and uh, sort of rotation set a little bit more rather than being all over the place. And so, as I say, that does take time, and it looks like that's where they're at. Have you been able to notice the same thing or you see anything different?
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and over the years, interviewing coaches in the preseason has always been kind of comical to me because they tell us, yeah, we've got lots of depth, and we're going to go 8-10 deep, and then they get into league play, and they're playing seven guys every game. You know, coaches protect their rotations, and they really believe in them, and it's very difficult sometimes for guys to earn that trust to be able to get into a game that means a lot in conference play. Um And and I think what Mark Pope was telling us on Saturday was, you know, we've, we've played eight games in 18 days, and, and we've acquired all of this data that we're going to plug in and try to figure out what works best for us, what combinations work best, uh, what plays work best for those combinations. They just haven't had a lot of time to really solidify all that. Um, and, and so they, they feel like they have an eight or 10 deep group, maybe even more than that if, if Wyatt Lowell gets gets uh, healthy and they might bring him into that loop. But as as they take a few days now between now and friday when they play san diego state maybe they plug in a few of those things this is one of the deeper teams i've seen from byu and that creates an issue for the coach because he wants the best locker room in america but he also wants happy guys and he wants to play guys and so uh, can you have them commit to playing you know you gave a good example of kobe lee who only played a few minutes the previous two games before utah then he starts against utah and plays really well And so you have those situations, and I think it's difficult with a a lot of guys that can play because every game is a little bit different as far as the rotation. You can't play the same way every single game. I don't think when you have depth because you have to take advantage of whatever your whatever you can exploit against the other team. Against Utah, BYU was able to exploit their their size down low, not not necessarily their height, but their width. They had some bigger guys that could kind of bully their way in there with Richard Harward and and Lee. And they took advantage of that. But they play against a team like you know, San Diego State on, on um on Friday and there's a bunch of tall guys that are really super athletic. Does that same style work? Maybe not. So it's a constant thing. And when you have more depth, it creates I think a little bit more difficulty in figuring out who you play and when. And that's what the coaching staff is facing now. But I do see a lot of potential there. I think I think this is a team that, that is gonna continue to get better. Unfortunately, this might peak in Zagas best team. Uh, under Mark Few, I, I think they might be the most talented team he's ever coached, and uh, they're in COVID right now and, and, and uh, pausing activities, but they've had a really good start to the season, and and uh, it'll be unfortunate if at the time BYU plays Gonzaga, there's still no fans allowed in, in the arena because that game last year was certainly one of the highlights.
0: So when you mentioned pausing games, uh, Stanford, Pitt, Boston College, and Virginia have all announced they're opting out of playing in a bowl game this year. Kyle Whittingham has said that if they beat Washington State, then the Pac-12 has a rule about bowl eligibility, even though the NCAA doesn't. But if they beat it, they'll be bowl eligible, and he'll let the players decide whether they play in a bowl game or not, assuming they get an invitation. And Mike Krzyzewski brought up shutting down college basketball, which sounds terrible because he's been good for a long time. And I think college basketball coaches think he's cheating, but he's never been tagged with that. And I think that frustrates a lot of people. But they've lost two non-conference games. So when he says shut it down, it sounds terrible. But, you know, the players have been isolated for a long time, depending on their sport. But they've been living in relative isolation for a long time. What do you think about the idea of shutting college basketball down for the holidays and then letting kids go home and quarantine the two weeks when they come back. That's a lot of money at stake, so it probably can't happen, but it would be the right thing to do is Shashevsky on to something, even though he's absolutely the wrong messenger for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because there's a delicate balance here between living our lives mm-hmm. and, and, and pushing forward and, and rewarding kids for hard work and, and being smart and being careful. Um, I, I don't think that's a bad idea, but as you mentioned, there's a lot of, of money at stake and, and a lot of people's jobs at stake. And, and it's, it's, it's really hard to decide. It, the, the thing you talk about maybe with, with friends and family is, is uh, if it's if it's not working, let's try something different because doing the same thing over and over again is ridiculous. And at this point, it doesn't seem like anything that's being done is really slowing the spread of this disease. And, and we know that, that eventually, you know, um, uh, we'll get past this. But at this point, you know, the, the memory of losing the NCAA tournament last year is still just a gut punch to anybody who's a sports fan. I mean, uh, you know, BYU fans obviously felt like this was a team that could Win a couple of games in the tournament, maybe beyond, um, and and it, it just it was so hard. And and if you're a BYU fan, you know that the men's volleyball team was number one in the country, and they were going to go to the championship probably. And you know, losing an, uh, a championship in any sport is just so hard for sports fans to, to fathom. And and uh, you know, even down to the high school level. I mean, we were we were talking about the loss of spring baseball and softball and track and and, and soccer here locally and we talk to a lot of kids and they're just like, what do I do? So it's a devastation uh, of of what normally should happen that, that is really hard to deal with. But also we know this pandemic is really, really difficult to stop. And, and I, I don't think your, your idea is that bad. Uh, I really feel like, like that would be something that that might cause the slow uh, of the, of the spread and, and people would come back healthy and, you know, quarantine that two weeks. But, it's it's hard because there's so many voices and so much at stake. I I feel like they're probably going to push through, but but they need to consider some alternatives sometimes because they're and especially in basketball because there's about 350 or more teams different than football where there's, there's only 120 or so. Uh, when you have a cancellation of a football game, now you're you're seeing dozens and dozens of basketball games being canceled. It's it's disheartening when you're when you're a fan or if you're even even if you're covering it not knowing if you're going to be able to, to cover a game the next day.
0: All right, we'll leave it right there, Darnell. We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. All right, fellas. Have a great day.